if you know they are the answers to your problems at the end of the book, why would you read the whole book? Just go to the last page and just read it. We don't have time for that. This is not academia. There is no, we don't need like this academic perfection. We just need answers to our problems. That's all we need. Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Patrick Ancatel, CEO of Portal Instruments, who brings over 20 years of experience in leading bioengineering companies from concept to commercialization. Prior to Portal, Patrick co-founded two other medtech startups. He holds a doctorate in bioinstrumentation from MIT and advanced degrees from Harvard Business School, ETH in Zurich, and the University of Tokyo. His scientific achievements have been featured in top journals and media outlets such as MIT Technology Review, Wired Magazine, PBS, and CNBC. Here for you the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, your business model might take time to develop. Until you find the best route, follow the incentives. Seek partnerships with those who have both the resources and a tangible need. Stay adaptable, ready to pivot when necessary, and network extensively. Second, focus on condensing timelines and being practical in every aspect of your startup. Adapt rapid learning and iterative development. Invest in resources that allow your team to quickly turn ideas into prototypes, fostering a culture of nimbleness and risk-taking. Third, in MedTech, the right collaborations are golden. They bring more than money. They offer insights, resources, and access to new markets. Mix it up with your partners. Think big corporations, venture capitalists, and other relevant players. Every collaborator has their own agenda, so stay flexible and find the sweet spot where your goals align with theirs. Okay, so before we jump into this episode, if you're listening to this show, I'm going to make the assumption that you're a dedicated pro looking to learn from the best in the business. If that's the case, which I think it probably is, I've got some exciting news related to our premium memberships. First, let's talk a little bit about MedSider Playbooks, your ticket to going from zero to 100 with your company or your career. You see, our team has handpicked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs. People like Nadim Yard, CEO of CVRX, and Mike Carusi, a serial medtech entrepreneur and general partner at Lightstone Ventures. These proven leaders shared their strategies and tactics for running a successful startup. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or maybe even position your venture for a meaningful exit, MedSider Playbooks have got you covered. And the best part, all of them are available to our premium members. Get instant access to these valuable resources at medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Okay, here's the second thing. I completely understand that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, especially in today's environment. That's why we've created a meticulously curated database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups, and more, all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. But that's definitely not all. When you become a MedSider Premium member, you'll get access to every volume of MedSider Mentors, where the brightest founders and CEOs share their invaluable learnings. Plus, you'll unlock the entire archive of every MedSider interview dating back to 2010. So if you're serious about advancing your career or your startup and want to tap into this treasure trove of knowledge, it's time to consider becoming a MedSider Premium member. Visit medsiderradio.com forward slash premium to learn more. All right, without further ado, let's jump back into the interview. All right, Patrick, welcome to uh, MedSider Radio. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having us here. 
Yeah, really looking forward to the conversation and uh, not only learning a little bit more about your journey, but also, uh, you know, what you're what you're building at at, uh, at Portal uh, Instruments and kind of where where you and your team are headed over the next uh, next handful of years. But with that said, I recorded a, a brief bio um, on your background at the outset of this interview, but it was very brief. So let's start there. If you can kind of give us a an elevator pitch of, uh, you know, your your experiences leading up to uh, to Portal Instruments, that'd be great. Sure, thank you, Scott. Uh, as you can tell from, from my accent, actually, I'm not from the States, I'm from uh, France originally. Uh, but really, when I came to the US, uh, actually, early, early on, already as a teenager, actually, I always thought this would be the place for me. I think I was an American uh, all my life. I just didn't know until I came here. And uh, suddenly, we actually subsequently uh, became American. Uh, and uh, so, yes, my background, I, um, I studied mechanical engineering uh, in Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland has uh, amazing... Uh, engineering schools uh, that are uh, really on par with you know, MIT, Oxford, Stanford, and so on. And uh, from there, I um, couldn't stop actually uh, studying mechanical engineering. And I thought, well, no, the next step would be to do a PhD. Uh, I got accepted to do that at MIT, where I studied uh, robotics, material science, instrumentation, uh, and chemistry, actually. Really uh, loved uh, the idea that um, it's kind of uh, impairment on us uh, at, at MIT, which is that you know, anyone can start a company uh, and always wanted to do that. Uh, the past for me, though, was not sort of direct. I initially worked in finance. Um, the area I had studied uh, at MIT became very interesting to investors in around 2004 uh, related to nanotechnology. So, so I did this for a couple of years. Really loved business and went to business school. I did a two-year MBA and started companies basically after that. So I did two other uh, medical device uh, companies, two diagnostics companies, one in the uh, space of glucose monitoring uh, and then another one in the space of RNA expression analysis. Uh, really great experiences. And then my PhD advisor actually called me back and said, hey, you know, now you, you know how to do this business thing. Uh, you should actually come uh, and let's work together. I've got this tech uh, out of my lab. It's ready to go. It wasn't really, but... Uh, but how, this is how we started the company. Uh, and so the idea was, well, could we inject uh, patients, in particular patients on chronic medicines, is there a better way to inject them than a needle and syringe? And so this is how the idea of Portal basically came to be. It's an idea that had actually uh, pharma backing uh, at MIT. Uh, and so there was a lot of IP getting, uh, that had gotten developed. Uh, and we were able to license that from MIT and then start a company uh, around that. Um, Got that's it. The, the genesis. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. And and the company that you were working on uh, with respect to um, uh, kind of glucose sensor monitoring um, that was is it how do you pronounce it? Is it R R R T S? R T S. It was an amazing technology that actually came out of Texas A and M, where you uh, you use so called anti stokes Raman spectroscopy of, of CARS, cars, um, and and cars is a much more sensitive method to do Raman spectroscopy. Uh, and I forgot actually the um, what the ratios are, but I think for every thousand photons that you sent in into a sample, you only get one that's Raman shifted. And as such, it really requires a powerful source. Uh, with the uh, Korean anti-stroke Raman spectroscopy, you used a laser pulse, a Korean laser pulse. Uh, actually, it's, it's two pulses together to create almost like a key that would only kind of shake uh, the molecules of interest and not shake the others. And you could imagine like for each analyte, there could be uh, a specific key that you could actually uh, develop. Uh, it was an amazing uh, technology. It was actually very hard, at, uh, on the other hand, to miniaturize it. The whole setup was like two optical tables, uh, which you know didn't really phase us because um, you know the, the, the green lasers 
Um, those used to be also the size of a, an optical table before they now became, you know, like the size of a pen. So, uh, so that was kind of what we uh, what we did there. It was it was um, we went backing from Pfizer actually at the time to to do that, which was uh, which was really great. Then. Got it. And we'll we'll jump into what kind of what the the, the cool technology you're working on yeah. at at, uh, at Portal here in a bit. But it, it caught my attention just because that that space is so hot right right now. Um, and you were working on it. Gosh. Almost twenty years like ago. Ten now. years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Twenty years yeah. ago. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fifteen, twenty years ago. Yeah. So whatever, whatever ended up happening with the technology, it was it was it. Did you end up selling it. What 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 happened to the the company? Yeah, it's it's kind of sort of quietly uh, sort of folded in that um, we were the, um, uh, the the diagnostic companion to a therapy that eventually Pfizer actually discontinued, which was ah. the inhalable insulin. Uh, and this was maybe it's in the annals of uh, medical device uh, and drug <laughs> d- delivery. It's probably one of the most infamous examples. But we were the um, uh, sort of the companion diagnostics, and so very quickly, actually, uh, as, as they made a decision not to pursue that, uh, we sort of you know quietly sort of also folded it down. But interestingly, yeah. the, the the miniaturization part was not impossible. Uh, and uh, so I went to business school. Actually, all of this happened when I was in business school, actually, as well as I had a, another colleague basically running the company. Uh, and, and in the end, uh, you know, with the financial crisis coming in in 08, uh, then, uh, you know, it was it was a bit more difficult to raise money actually at the time. But right. uh, we, we never were faced really by the miniaturization. It, it seemed that it was be, you know, with enough uh, hard work and uh, ingenuity, it should be it should be possible to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I always like to kind of touch on some of these some of these stories because you have such an impressive background in terms of your education, but also you've worked on just like a lot of really cool technology. Yeah, yeah. You know? a lot of that's just stuff, sort of yeah. the, the nature yeah. of, of startups, right? Like some yeah. some some work out, some are too early, uh, some get caught up in a financial crisis. You know, it's just a uh, you know, the, the ebb and flow of kind of pushing a boulder up a hill. But um, with That's that right. said, let, let's let's circle back around to Portal Instruments. So you, you mentioned this this needle-free kind of uh, uh, drug delivery technology and kind of the, the origin story, but give us a little bit better sense of kind of like what what, what it is. You know, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the, with the space, never really spent a lot of time in it. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. if you can kind of give us a, a summary of it, that'd be great. That, that sounds great. So, so needle-free injection and in particular jet injection has been tried for many years. In fact, it has actually an interesting uh, history. It was coincidentally started uh, or invented by a French scientist in the mid 1800s, um, and the principle is very simple, which is that you pressurize a vessel that contains a drug, and then at the end of the vessel you have a very small orifice. Um, and here, imagine the orifice is much smaller than a needle, and so as you pressurize it, the uh, the drug is just going to shoot out of that orifice. Huh? And um, at the same time, it's also known that with a water jet cutter, you can cut metal this thick. I mean, this is just not, not, a, not a big deal. And so in the early days of industrialization, when people had high pressurized line, like hydraulic lines, uh, they also realized that if there would be a leak and you tried to uh, patch it with your thumb, you'd end up basically with oil uh, you know, embedded in your finger. And so fast forward to after the war, People thought, well, you know, with vaccination coming online and the need to in, to inoculate a very large population, uh, the idea to use jet injection actually really became uh, very important. Uh, and in fact, many, many people were actually uh, um, vaccinated in that particular way in the early days, uh, and including the, the U.S. military actually used those types of devices. Um, there was a minor detail that kind of was overlooked, which is that as you do so uh, across um, patients, um, there is a little bit of splashback that happens. It's not as 
dramatic as you know inserting a needle into someone and then inserting it into someone else afterwards. But nonetheless, you can be unlucky in that the some of the contaminant may actually get transmitted from patient to patient. And so so that was issue number one. Um, issue number two, as you try to increase the volumes of injectate, uh, it became more difficult because uh, you really needed to control the jet to do that. Um, and finally, the third thing is that controlling actually the, the shape of the jet, making sure that it was always collimated, is also something that people didn't really understand actually that well. And so uh, fast forward to uh, the origin story, I guess, of, of Portal at MIT. Our, our scientific founder, Ian Hunter, is a professor there at, uh, at uh, MIT Mechanical Engineering. His realization was that you could actually use a powerful linear actuator to do the pressurization. Uh, you didn't need to use actually what people were using at the time, which is some form of um, explosive energy release uh, form, like a, a big spring, a compressed gas, or in fact, the crazy way to do it is literally to use an explosion. Uh, so think about airbag technology, for example. So he realized that when, with a linear electrically powered actuator, you could actually achieve the same energy release. And the moment you introduce electricity, uh, you can actually computer control it. And as such, it would not only allow you to actually do a smooth injection, you could also control the injection during the injection process. Um, and so fast forward to today, uh, we have an injection um, that's a large volume. So this is mostly for chronic diseases, and I can talk about the business side of things. Um, it's a it's a volume that is comparable to doing three vaccines back to back. So it's quite quite a lot. Um, that injection, if you do it by hand using a syringe with a fluid that's not viscous, it would still take you a few seconds to do that. If it's viscous, it could take you minutes actually to literally you know crank it in. And as you do so, the needle wiggles in. It's very uncomfortable for the patient. In our case, that in, that injection takes place in about a third of a second. So whoosh, it's just very very very, very rapid actually. Yeah. Um, and during that injection, we do measurements to make sure that the output corresponds to what the, the device is actually programmed to do. Um, so we have a volume over time curve that leads to a specific injection depth. And the job of the controller is to make sure that it matches that. Uh, and it uses a combination of real-time control plus modeling of the device, plus the fluid, plus the cartridge, uh, including the compliance of the cartridge actually to make sure it always does the, the same thing. So that's a the major uh, innovation that was uh, provided here. And then the next thing is, how do you miniaturize it to make it uh, um, you know, something that's about this, this shape? Uh? Um, and how do you create a business model that also makes sense? Because this is just so expensive compared to uh, a needle and syringe, right? You, you, you're talking like many orders of magnitude in terms of cost. And so I would spend a lot of time to uh, really making sure we can actually crank in that power uh, and uh, in, a, in a form factor that's actually uh, usable. Yeah, that's super helpful overview. And and uh, for those listening, you know, we're recording this on video. Um, but uh, uh, Patrick just held up, you know, the the, uh, the 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 device itself, and so you can learn a little bit more about uh, kind of the form factor, the technology in general at at, at the on on their website portalinstruments.com. Uh, just as it sounds, portal p o r t a l instruments.com. We'll link to it in the full write up on Medsider, um, as well as Patrick's link, LinkedIn profile. But um, really really cool technology, and uh, I, I wanna I wanna. Uh, carving out car, carve out enough time to kind of um sort of sort of step inside the the, the time machine and learn a, little, learn a little bit more about how how you got here over the past you know decade or so but uh give us a give us a high level sense patrick of kind of where the company's at today in terms of uh development reg clin you know eventual sure, commercialization. Sure. 
So the, the, the business model is to actually do partnerships with pharma. So at the end of the day, you know, the kind of the common, common adage is that uh, you should always follow the money. Uh, so who's got the money? Well, it's not the patient, right? Because they typically, even if they have it, they just don't want to pay for uh, anything related to health. This is where insurance you know, should help. On the other hand, pharma companies actually has money. Uh, in addition to that, uh, they actually also have drugs that need to be injected. So all the, uh, I would guess, all the, the modern drugs, uh, all the so-called biologics, uh, those have to be injected. Um, people, of course, are trying to make pills um, out of biologics, um, and even when they do, uh, which is actually very, very hard, the um, the drug efficacy or the the, the loading, the, the amount of, of um, loading you need to do to get the therapeutic dose uh, is just so high that you're not getting the therapeutic effects that you actually really want. So so in the end, injections are not going anywhere, at least for, uh, for quite some time. Uh, and as such, it causes a problem for pharma companies in that they have to basically get the patients to do the injection themselves. And those drugs historically were administered as IV, but of course no one wants to do that. And so the whole market shifted from IV to sub-Q or subcutaneous injections uh, in the past 10 years. Um, and so the realization that we did was that, well, first of all, pharma has the money, so we can actually structure a deal with um, with you know, royalties, with uh, upfront payments, milestone payments, R&D dollars, and so on. Things that they're doing anyways for formulations actually today. And um, and in addition to that, the second realization was that well, if what we inject is of high value, then there's an there's an opportunity for us to actually capture some of that value back. Uh, so in other words, the contrary, if we, if what we inject is is a commodity, then well, then it's just difficult to actually capture any value because the whole therapy, which is the only thing that matters, uh, already. Uh, is quite cheap and as such is very little margin to sort of go go around. So that was a big, I think that was a big, big shift. Um, and I'm sure yourself or your listeners have been faced with that challenge, which is that you've got a platform technology, you could do anything. How do you select actually the right application? And you know, it's, it's not that we actually woke up one day and realized that it took us a long time because of course, you know, the uh, sort of the attraction is to say, well, we're going to do everything, you know, but but of course that's not practical uh, as well. And so here maybe my lesson is that, you know, follow the money, who's able to pay you and make sure you're part of an ecosystem of value where you contribute to that value as well. And if that value is a lot, then you can actually capture some of it back. And so, so it's a very, very long-winded answer to your question. Where are we today? Okay. So there's a positive, there's a negative. The positive is that pharma is great. They pay a lot. We love it. On the other hand, pharma is very, very slow. And if you're someone who's running a franchise um, where that franchise, that particular drug brand, is bringing billions per year, you're going to be very, very risk averse. And, and kind of understanding that, uh, you know, really took us actually some time. And so uh, we have several programs in development with pharmaceutical companies. We have about you know, four programs in development. Um, but to this day, we still haven't launched actually a product because, again, we're sort of the we're kind of part of the drug, so to say, right? We're part of the drug process actually as well. Um, on the other hand, where's the device at? So here's a device here. Um, it's uh, clinical grade. We're manufacturing it on a GMP condition. It has a disposable single-use cartridge that's also made actually uh, on the GMP conditions. It's actually made by Gerolsheimer, uh, one of our partners. Um, and so we're able to enable clinical studies for from our partners. Uh, we've also been in a clinic uh, ourselves where we, we've injected uh, human subjects with saline to make sure that, you know, when they inject themselves, not only can they actually do it themselves, but also 
and how does it feel? And what, we, what we've been able to show, uh, and we've published actually many stu uh, uh, um, uh, studies on that, uh, is that the injection sensation is much smaller than what you get with a typical needle syringe when the patient is actually doing it themselves. Uh, so that's kind of where we are. So still uh, work, you know, slugging our way, I guess, uh, through commercialization. Uh, but um, invariably, I think if you'd ask anyone on the team, it's a, it's a, it's a great mission. It's really an opportunity for us uh, to transform kind of this high-end part of the market and then later on to transform every other injection, including, you know, common vaccination, like the flu vaccination uh, and so on. Got it. Yeah, that, that's a super helpful overview. And I want to, I want to touch on real quick, the, um, your, your answer around um, kind of the, the, this, this topic of business model, right? Cause um, yeah. you know, in, in some, a lot of, a lot of people that are listening, uh, a lot of, a lot of founders and CEOs and just uh, um, other, other startups in general that, that listen to the, to the program, Often, oftentimes, there's a very straightforward path, right, uh, to, to commercialization. Um, but you know, I would say maybe equally as much, there's it, it's a little bit unknown, right? Um, and and the path to, uh, to the path to, to to market is a little bit more ambiguous. Yeah. And so, that's when right. you think about the past ten years, it sounds like that's very much kind of evolved, right? Like where you're at now with this kind of partnering with pharma companies, it wasn't yes. that wasn't overly clear. Up, up it front, was so. not obvious. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, my, my experience, I'm sure it's probably the same for you. I mean, it takes us typically two years to figure out what the business model is. Uh, so, so that was the case with, I mean, Synaptex, the, the prior company in between the two. Uh, that one, it took us two years to realize that we were looking at it in the wrong direction. We had to look at it at, at the other way. And here, this was a diagnostic company. And we were focused on sensitivity, uh, specificity, as you always are. Um, what we didn't realize really the value of the uh, so this was done actually for um, for artisan diagnostics. And so the value of the diagnostics was to realize that by the age of five, you had, I forgot actually what the numbers were, let's say there were 80% of false, uh, of false negative actually. And that's the thing that we were changing. And it's amazing. It's like, well, you could have focused on the on the false positive or just on the, on the positive themselves and so on. But actually, no, it, it's really kind of forming kind of the essence of the value prop. And that, in my experience, takes a lot of time until you're in the market or talking to customers, mm -hmm. talking to partners. You just have no idea. It's all almost made up you know, <laughs> in, your, in your own, own mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, I think yeah, I mean, again, the advice easier said than done because I do think it's uh, particularly for us engineer. So it's hard to talk to people. But yeah, just go talk to as many people as you can. The sooner you can do this, uh, which of course presupposes that you actually have something to show too. Right? Is, is, this is why this is very iterative actually at the end of the day. But the sooner, sooner you can do those conversations, the, the, the better yeah. um, and the sooner you can actually figure out really what the true value prop is. It's, it's, uh, and it's not obvious actually, in my, in my experience, never is. Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned a couple of things to kind of keep in mind, I think that are very helpful, right? Follow the money, um, fig yep. figure out where you can truly add value into the equation, yes. right? Because if, if there's right. a lot of friction in terms of, of your product, your device, your solution, adding value that ultimately is not going to probably lead to a lot of uh, a strong business model. And, um, but, it, but I guess maybe the, you know, hearing you kind of explain kind of how you got here, you know, I'm just, I'm a big, I'm personally a big believer in just momentum is so crucial in, in startups, yeah. right. In yeah. early stage companies yeah. and, and, yeah. and talking to customers and users, various stakeholders, that's so crucial to kind of keeping this momentum and ultimately kind of figuring out kind of where your product, your solution fits. And, and you know, it's just, that's the that, that I think it's it's a key point to keep in that's mind, right. you know, in order to to eventually kind of get to the end, end goal. You just you know you get that momentum is is crucial, and a lot of times momentum is uh, 
a part of that equation is, is talking to a lot of people, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, That's right. To, and, and I think internally as well, I mean, the momentum is what keeps the teams going. And this is mm -hmm. what we tell the team all the time. I mean, everything is stacked against us, right? Mm -hmm. So unproven technology, unproven market, oftentimes unproven team as well. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you've got competitors that are entrenched in the markets and are much more well-funded actually than you are. So the only thing you really have is time, right? And if you can use time effectively, uh, and in particular use it to create experiments from which you can learn actually very, very fast. Um, and so here, I mean, the, the MIT ethos, but I'm sure it's, it's, it's actually been replicated in, in, um, in, in many, many other, other ways, is this idea that in order really to know if your design is working, you need to build it and then you need to test it. And then from the testing, you can actually draw, go back into the, the next uh, building phase and so on. Um, and so we've actually structured the whole company in that particular way, because what you want to do is make is to make sure that those um, iterative cycles, that they are condensed as much as possible. Um, and by the way, this applies not only to engineering, but also to any other area. It can be marketing, it can be business, uh, it can be business model and, and, and so on. But uh, for the engineering side, we've made the decision and have invested heavily in that very, very early on to equip the engineers with state-of-the-art tools such that not only they can actually express their you know, amazing creativity, but also that they can build actually, literally the same day or the next day, they can build prototypes, learn from them through testing and, and, and then go back in. And so we've, we've basically invested in a full machine shop uh, with machining capabilities, 3D printing, uh, laser cutting, uh, and, and so on. Because even the act of sending your parts to someone else even a, like a proto lab, like a super fast, uh, you know, shop, it might still take you a week, right? So imagine you're an engineer designing that part. If you know it's going to take you a week to get your part back, well, you want to be a bit more conservative, right? a bit more less risk-taking than if you know you can actually make it this the afternoon and then test it, test it at night, right? And so that to us is very, very important, and uh, and we certainly have over-invested actually in that, yeah, um, and and so. Yeah, so time is of the essence always. And in a startup, it's the only thing you've got. Everything else is not, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. In fact, one of our um, one of our key development partners at FastWave um, yeah. is uh, ha has a lot of those sort of uh, capabilities in, in yeah. internally, right? And um, and part part of how that development partner got there was this the same issue, right? That that you're talking about. Oh, like I've got this, I've got these laser cut components that I need to have made. I've got to send them out to a shop. The turnaround time is whatever, two, three, four weeks. I'm solely dependent upon upon that and I need to move faster. And so they built out sort of this, this function function in, in internally. But but your Patrick, your comment around like this this idea of 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 iterating quickly, right? Condensing that timeline. Often it's it, it's easy to kind of apply that to to product development. But your point, it, it can be applied to other functions of the business, right? Like yes, marketing, right. marketing so, commercialization yeah. is a great example. I'm I'm a I listen to this podcast um um, that's uh, that was founded by uh, an, an, an engineer by, by background, but he spends most of his time in, in marketing, and he and he calls kind of this um, like their 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 approach um, re revenue R and D, and it's this concept mm. of like oh, yeah. thinking about it. thinking about you know your your commercialization or how you're going to drive revenue, but thinking about it like an like an R and D project, right? We're gonna you're gonna experiment, you know, build build out your funnel in essence, right? Experiment, test. And then go back to the drawing board and make tweaks. And so um, I, I love the fact that you brought that up. And on that note, Patrick, um, when you think about, you know, especially with your engineering background, when you think about how to move quickly uh, with, you know, pretty limited capital, right, which is the case with most early stage companies, um, 
is there anything else I guess that you feel would be helpful to kind of touch on, you know, either based on, you know, mistakes that you've made in the past or just other, other startups that you've been around, you know, that, uh, uh, that would be valuable, right. For other, other founders, other, other CEOs that are listening, listening in and kind of at those earliest stages when they don't have a lot of capital in the bank, but they still need to kind of, you know, move, move reasonably quickly. Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Wow.